Welcome all. It's episode 83 of Honestly Unbalanced, where we chat to more and more people that have tried to make your life a little bit better. And that person this week is Govind Das, who's a Californian-based Kiritan finger, yoga teacher, and as his spiritual name suggests, servant of the divine. He's a co-director of Back to Yoga Shala in Santa Monica, and his commitment to Back to Yoga and the ideals of love, service, and devotion is the essence which is reflected and transmitted through his music and teaching. His intention is to share yoga in the spirit of celebrating life and developing a personal and intimate connection with the source. Along with all these things, he's a surfer, he loves to play basketball, uh, and he has some wonderful children and a lovely wife, all living in the house that overlooks the great Pacific Ocean. That sounds amazing, doesn't it? This conversation is awesome. He is such a kind, loving human being. And just by listening to him, you can't help but yeah, fall in love with him a little bit. What we talk about in this podcast, we talk about whether Kirtan is a musical performance or a collective prayer, how it's important to let go of fear in how you sound when you participate in a Kirtan, why we need to take on challenges in order to grow, the difference between mantra and Kirtan, how good it feels when we have moments where we feel united with other people, whether that be at football, ground, chanting, an anthem, whether it be at a concert or whether it be in a kirtan. We talk about whether there is a debate at the moment uh, around kirtan and cultural misappropriation. And we talk about Gavin's journey, of course. I hope you enjoy this podcast. I'm sure you will. I'm sure it will bring some light to your day, to your week. And let me give you a few little perks before we get going. You can get 10% off our favorite Matt's life form with code HUSTLER10, all caps, H-U-S-L-E-R-10. 10% off Colourful Standard, which is like a very ethical, very chilled out clothing brand that I pretty much wear every day with code Adam Hustler. CS10, A-D-A-M-H-U-S-L-E-R-C-S-10. And you can get 10% off Viva Barefoot Shoes with code Adam Hustler VB, all caps again. And finally, if you fancy joining us for yoga, sound healing, and more, you can get 25% off our online platform with code HONEST25, H-O-N-E-S-T-25. You can find all of that at thehustlers.com if you're interested. And this week, Holly's album, Holly's debut solo album is out on Spotify. Uh, you can still support her by buying it if you want, but if you want to listen to it, it's now on Spotify from today. So if you just go on Spotify and type in Holly Hustler, you'll find her wonderful music. And a final note, if you fancy joining a teacher training, I'm teaching one with Mia Togo and Michael Wong and me, uh, teaching... Uh, a week in London in May, then some online stuff, then a week in Spain in September. If you go to 200hour, 200hrtraining.com, you'll find it, or just go to adamhustler.com, and that will get you there. Now, I'm going to let you enjoy the podcast. Honestly, I want to start with a question about nouns, and this always confuses me when I talk about Kiritan or anyone that does Kiritan. Am I... Should I be saying a Kiritan teacher, a Kiritan artist, a Kiritan performer? What? Yeah, I, I, you know, I like Kiritan artist. I like, uh, I don't really feel like Kiritan teacher so much. Maybe a Kiritan guide. Uh, in India, it's called a Kiritan Wala, W A L L A H, Kiritan Wala, like somebody that leads Kiritan. How about a Kiritan leader? Mm. That could be as well, too. But you do, do you, do you teach it? Do you, you, I think you teach trainings in Kirtan, don't you? I do. Yeah, yeah, I do. I teach a lot of Kirtan trainings. And so on that level, I guess on some way I'm teaching. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, but in a sense, like leading Kirtan, you know, um, it's not so much a, a class as much as it is, of course, people joining and singing together in, in, in praise and prayer. It's interesting, Adam said, um, a kirtan performer. And I, I, I know it's not about performing at all, but is there any, any element at all of performance, would you say? That's a great question. That's a, such a great question. I think it depends on who you, who you ask and who you talk to. Myself, I don't feel it or step into it 
at all as a performance. Mm -hmm. I step into it as as one, as like seva, getting other people to sing the divine names, which is what we do in kirtan. And I feel it as, um, you know, as prayer, really. Mm. That, that's what I feel it as. So I don't feel it as a musical performance. And I even say this commonly before we start, this is not me up here singing to you all. I may be sitting up here leading this journey, but this is a collective experience. Mm -hmm. And, you know, for anybody that's been in Kirtan before, I think the, the most important thing is maximum participation mm -hmm. amongst everybody there. And when everybody is singing, that's when the magic happens. Mm -hmm. And on the other side of the coin, I've experienced really great Kirtan musicians that maybe are doing it with a subtle thread of performance, me singing to you mm -hmm. all. And I feel like it's an obstacle to that maximum participation because people just want to hear this person, mm. right? Instead of everyone directing their singing and chanting upwards to God, to spirit, to whatever name you want to call it, it becomes then this person is singing to you and it takes on more of like a concert type of yeah. a feel I instead feel, of a collective prayer. I feel I've witnessed that once myself. Uh, and I don't know the person well, so I can't speak about them. But yeah. it was when they were, you know, the call, they were doing the call for the response to follow. And th there was, I, I don't know the technical terms, like, like reverberations in how they were singing. They, they were kind of Mariah Careying it. Ad-libbing. Like, yeah, like it was. I, thought, I, can't, I can't respond. I don't know how to, I can't, I don't know how to respond to that. And I think a lot of people looked around and be like, I don't, we don't really know what to do at this point. We can't hold that note for a minute. <laughs> I agree 108%, honestly. I've experienced that so much. And I'm not like a classically trained singer. I sing very simple, straight notes. And, you know, and I think that may be why I've, if you call it success or whatever you want to call it, you know, but just been invited to sing all over the world in different places, different festivals. It may be because of that fact right there that I'm just giving people the just the amount that they feel comfortable singing back instead of doing something wild and crazy so it's very easy very simple to join in and again to me that's the most important thing when everybody collectively is joined together do you have any tactics so a lot of people i imagine get dragged to a kirtan concert unwillingly <laughs> you know, they, they go with their partner or they go along not knowing quite what to expect and then there's yeah. suddenly i was in one with dave stringer in berlin uh and i, I i'd been on his training and, and there were a whole group of people behind me who when we all started like getting up and dancing they're like what what the hell are these psychos doing or they're yeah. bloody hippies. Uh, <laughs> but eventually they got up. Like Dave did something with his eyes. Like he's a lot, he's a lot of like eye he's contact good with, the with eyes. people. He's good with that. And like, a lot of like cheeky smiles. And he persuaded them to participate. What yeah. Do you have any tactics to persuade the unwilling? <laughs> well, that's a great, another great question because I hear this all the time with people, you, just like you said, people getting dragged. A friend drags another friend. A boyfriend drags his girlfriend. A husband drags her, his wife. Wife drags his husband, whatever it may be. Um, so, you know, it's kind for me, it's kind of like reading the room mm. and using the right languaging for the particular uh, environment that I'm in. Right. I mean, honestly, really, what is Kirtan? Kirtan is praising God, singing to God. Now, some people immediately, if they hear that, that's going to shut them down. Mm -hmm. First of all, God, what God am I singing to? Am I singing a Hindu God? That means I'm going to be a Hindu now. You know, like, like, so in certain cases, when I know that people are experienced with this and are, you know, shall I say, uh, have drank the Kool-Aid, you know, like, yes, you can talk and use that kind of language with them. But for the most part, 
Um, if it's newer people, I try to language things in a way that is is very welcoming and um, and in a sense, you know, non like denominational in a sense that this is this is for everybody because I truly believe it is, and we're just calling on the different names of spirit that are used in different traditions. Um, and welcome people to try it on to invite people to try in this on this on this practice and sometimes even not even talking so much so they just feel the power of music mm. because music as we know it moves people um and as well too you know i like to give some guidance during kirtan you know like i'll say okay everybody clap your hands clap 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 and if they feel that everybody is doing this that oh well i don't want to be left out mm -hmm. you know or i don't want to be the weird one not clapping okay so i'll clap so i'll clap and then they're feeling like oh my god and this is all i think subconsciously happening i'm actually in unison with everybody i'm feeling a part of something and that's undeniable when you feel a part of something that's yoga, right? Mm. You're, you're uniting with something bigger. And then I'll, you know, invite everybody to stand up and dance, almost to the point where they don't really have a choice, you know? So again, everybody's standing up and dancing. And if they're just sitting down, like, you know, then they're going to be sort of the odd one out. It's not going to feel so good, right? But if they're up and everybody's up, they're, they're, again, they're a part of something that mm. that's, it's fluid that's that's joyful that's mm -hmm. uplifting and if they can just sort of step beyond that resistance in the mind then it seems to all like be good and and you know people are flowing at that but it's a great question though i think you just helped me to kind of see it in another way it's i guess kirtan is also you could say um breaking down that illusion of separation so that it's joining everyone together to Without help us all realize that we are all I'm going proper hippie now, but we are all one. <laughs> Absolutely. And, you know, when voices merge together like that, mm. it's just, you know, it's just the most special thing in the world. I mean, mm. for me, my first introduction to sacred music was in synagogue when I was like six, seven years old, you know, I grew up Jewish. I wanted most of my childhood, absolutely nothing to be absolutely nothing, no involvement with Judaism. My parents made me, forced me to do everything. Mm -hmm. But when I was in the synagogue and I would hear people singing together, these like holy songs of praise, something happened. And I remember it vividly, even crying at times because I actually just felt choked up a little bit just remembering that because it's again it's it's a palpable feeling when the it's like heavenly to a sense when when many voices start joining together as well and it's, it's a it, unitive experience in it's in every sense so it's not just in spiritual music even like in a football game the, the, yeah, the unified chanting. chanting because we are as, as human beings you know, although we evolved as an individual you know, we evolved as individuals and there were there was obviously natural selection but a big part of our evolution was was a group as as a group and almost like a beehive. There is a big part of us that's meant to be together, and there's we are meant to do things together. Not all things all the time, but I think in modern culture we are missing that to some degree. Everyone's a little bit solo and a little bit selfish, especially in London. Yeah, especially <laughs> in big cities like London. And you know, with the absence of church and the decline of church. There were very few things that bring people together in any sense. Uh, yeah. Yoga is one of them, I guess. CrossFit is another. But even in those things, it's very rare that people, well, it depends on where you are, that people actually talk to each other and actually chat. Yeah. And we are, we are missing, missing that, aren't we? And, and we, need, we need to find ways to replace it. And actually, every well, time I've been to a Kiritan event, there has been conversation, there has been unity. Mm. I agree. And, you know, I've used this example many times as well, too, about sporting events. I mean, I'm a huge athlete, always have been my whole life, still am, and um, coach, you know, my daughter's basketball team, soccer team, son's basketball team since, you know, they've been four years old. Aww. And there's just, you know, I love like the Lakers. I go to Lakers games and 
that when everybody is chanting, that's one of those unitive experiences. But that's like about all we have in modern culture. We don't have people joining their voices together as one, focused on one thing together. But when that happens at a stadium, that's massive. Like that feels so good. That, that's, that. There's a huge fear in the Western world around sounding good. Um, this has been a huge theme in my life, being in a girl band and always, you know, having to hit the note and for everything mm. to sound perfect. And, you know, you've got shows like The X Factor and The Voice where you literally get a big fat, you know, eh, eh, if you hit a bum note and the audience start booing you off the stage. So I think there's this real fear around people using their voices in so many parts of the world. Is that something that you that you touch upon in your your trainings, you know, overcoming that fear of using the voice or is it just, you know, throw them in the deep end, just get on with it and <laughs> get through it. Uh, that, that's it. it. I love that. I really do. Because uh, first of all, my wife has some great stories about this because she grew up, you know, in theater, acting, music. She was in a girl band as well, too. Uh, and, she's got a beautiful like, voice, by the way, your wife. So she attributes the practice of kirtan to shifting from what we were talking about before that anytime you use your voice it's a performance to no you can use your voice as a prayer as well too and from that perspective it doesn't matter so much what you sound like mm -hmm. as long as your heart is in it now that's something that i like to focus on as well too and i have to be honest some of the most powerful kirtans that have made the hairs stand up on my arms have been from people that i've heard sing who did not sing in pitch <laughs> you know one one time specifically i'll just share a little story i was on a i was in india on a train from delhi down to vrindavan it's about a four hour uh train ride three four hours and there was a blind man with a like a little begging bowl just walking up and down the alley uh you know the row and he was singing sitaram 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 and he was completely out of pitch <laughs> but i started crying because i couldn't believe that this man all he had was this mantra and this mantra sitaram was literally feeding him and the power of that that he had totally taken refuge in this practice of kirtan and singing sitaram that that's all he had and that came through his voice so although it wasn't like musically perfect there was a quality of such deep um yearning and love and and almost desperation inside of his singing that it just it really it really affected me and affected my heart but yes you know in in our trainings a lot of people show up with really beautiful voices and some people that are struggling to sing in pitch and my number one thing in kirtan is it's about your heart it's about your devotion it's about the love that you put into it that's what kirtan is mm -hmm. going back to before it's not a performance but as we develop our kirtan naturally we want to cultivate our voice and and do our best to sing and pitch and and make it pleasing as well too mm -hmm. so would you consider that there, you know, for these people that find it hard to sing publicly, and like I kind of am one of them, I'm happy to sing as part yeah. of a choir, but solo, ooh. You've actually got uh, a nice voice though. I but think. I've always believed that a yoga practice, you know, it depends on exactly what you're practicing, but it, there should be subjective challenge. And through that subjective challenge, you can find growth. Uh, but I think the challenge is important. Without a challenge, there's nothing there. I think it's fine occasionally to do some yoga that is just like pure relaxation. But, but generally yeah. speaking, I want some kind of challenge and I want to maintain a steady breath and steady mind through that challenge. And the same could be said, I think, for Kirtan. Like when, I, when I sang, I was in Dave Stringer's training again, I had to lead the Kirtan. Like it was a challenge for me. Uh, mentally, physically a little bit, hitting the high notes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> there, were, there was a challenge. But so much growth came from that. 
And I think mm. that, that for me at least, is a really big part of the yoga practice, that we want that discomfort and to let go of ego. I agree. Anytime we step into it, and you just said that so beautifully, Adam. I mean, you know, like challenge really, uh, the way I like to think of it, all challenges are just like, you know, what can we say? Ripe soil, fertile soil for growth to take place inside of. And and as yogis, if, if we're intentionally, consciously stepping forward on a yogic path, I think there has to be challenge for that growth mm -hmm. to take place, mm -hmm. whether it's in a yoga pose, whether it's singing out, whether it's sitting in meditation, uh, calming your mind. It's, it's almost in a certain way, welcoming these challenges, stepping into the places and parts of ourselves where we do feel challenged. And as we move through them, as you had just said, we start to feel something, something happening, some growth taking place. And that feels so fulfilling. Mm. I'd, lo I'd love to know it's a question that I'm always um, wondering about pronunciation of mantra because there's different schools of thoughts there's the you know the people that, are, that really believe that pronunciation is is so important um, because of the you know the way it uh, vibrates in your body etc um, but then I was speaking to the lovely Radhika Das who said that if it's it's all about the intention really and if you you know mess it up a little bit but it comes from the heart that kind of overrides that so i'd love to know your can i add a layer onto that question yeah. as well like i presume that just like we holly and i and us and you have very different accents and ways of saying english words mm -hmm. i imagine that would be the case in india of course as well there are different accents and people would say the same names in a slightly different way or the same words in a different way well that, that i love this question too both of y'all i think uh a couple things come up for me is one as a little child is learning how to pronounce things and they say, um, I'm, nothing's coming to my mind, but say like a word and it's a little bit off, but the parents know the word. You two are new parents and as your, your, your son begins to speak, you'll think it's adorable when <laughs> your son speaks something that they're trying to do and it may be a little bit off, but it, it gives tremendous pleasure mm. to your parents, to the parents, because the parents feel that love. Well, in the same sense, the way I like to think of it as that if that intention is there and right, mm. you know, God loves you even more. And, and you, cause, because we're all God's children, you know, God's not judging us because we're mispronouncing anything. It's only the, the human uh mind that judges like that if god is unconditional love no god loves you just just the way you are even with all of our imperfections now from a technical perspective <laughs> and this is more of a yogic perspective you know when you're chanting mantra like now kirtan and mantra are different mm -hmm. kirtan we're just simply chanting the names of god mm -hmm. Okay, now mantra is a little bit more, ha has more like rules involved with it. Like, you know, asatoma, uh, sadgamaya, tamasoma. There's a certain meter that it should be chanted. The pronunciation has to be chanted. Mm. And then it has like a certain effect. And that's a little bit more, uh, I would say, of like an orthodox mm. kind of practice uh, where everything has to be done just right to have a certain effect on um, summoning up the, the energies that you're trying to connect with yeah. in whether it's puja or uh, other ways that you're using mantra. But kirtan is, is different. We're just praising God by singing God's names. And, you know, going, I try to go to India every year mm -hmm. and you know, typically I bring groups with me as well. And one of my main reasons for going is just to listen, just to listen to how it's done there, because I don't want to be just some Westerner who's taking it and making it mine. You know what I mean? And putting, making it a Western thing. I want to really hear how it's done. Mm -hmm. So I've always felt really important uh, 
about the pronunciation of God's names. And, and just by listening, I don't have any formal Sanskrit training or uh, I don't know Hindi very well or that sort of thing. And I certainly don't know the rules of Sanskrit, but just by listening to how it's done in India. And, you know, yes, people sing it subtly differently in different parts. I mean, like sometimes you hear like an A sound as like an ah. Other times you'll hear it like an ah, ah versus an ah, you know, so it's very subtle. But uh, yeah, so that's how I've kind of just modeled my own kirtan practice mm. after just sitting with great kirtan leaders and really just listening and paying attention and, and receiving. At what point on your journey would you say that you connected with 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 your God then? Because I, I think you went to your first meditation class in 1993, if I remember that from my research. Was it around this kind yeah. of time? And what did it look like for you? You know, it's, it's interesting. Like I grew up Jewish, but I always, you know, I just always felt, I remember interesting enough in a, in a, what do you call it? Uh, like a Hebrew school class where they had a music session I remember the teacher singing, and this is probably when, again, when I was five years old, six years old, the music teacher saying, God is omniscient, omnipotent, and um, omniscient, omnipresent. Mm -hmm. And for some reason that stuck with me. Omniscient, omnipresent, and omnipotent. All-powerful, all-knowing, and everywhere at the same time. So it always kind of stayed with me through, now I didn't grow up in a, in a religious household. We went to synagogue no more than two or three times a year. Yeah, we did, you know, Hanukkah over the holidays, that sort of thing. But that always just really stayed with me. And then I got into yoga and started doing some psychedelics and that really uh, opened the doorway to that, that presence, whether you call it God, universe, Krishna, Ram, Jesus, Allah, Adonai, mm -hmm. just that presence of some greater, I, I wanna say greater being, higher being that's, that's non-different from our own spiritual self, our own higher self, that we're all a part of this one being, but just different patterns of energy within this one being. Mm -hmm. Yes, we're separate, but we're all a part of this one. And, you know, I remember my first mushroom journey in college that I did. And I experienced oneness. Mm -hmm meaning it wasn't just something heady where but i felt myself a part of the one and that everything is connected woven together through this this fabric of the universe it's all woven together through love mm. and you know it was so undeniably powerful and real for me that that's where it really like landed deep and strong. Mm. That's so and then, you know, as I started getting deeper into yoga and then specifically bhakti yoga, I just fell in love with all of these gods and goddesses. I mean, I just like, I grew up Jewish and Jewish, it's all about, um, what is it called? Monotheism, right? Monotheism, which is just one God and no idols you know, of meaning no deities and that sort of thing, which is great. I get that. But at the same time, and I think maybe attributing it to some plant medicine, psychedelics, I just felt open. Mm -hmm. And I said, okay, I get the monotheism thing, but why can't there be many gods as well too? And so I was introduced, you know, Krishna and Ram and, and Divine Mother, who I just felt so, such love for because I said, yes, that makes sense. The goddess that gives birth to everything. I think maybe because the first place I really learned and felt love was through my mom, as mm -hmm. so many people. 
are. So, and then really through the years, I felt like in bhakti yoga, there's what's called ishta devata. I don't know if you've ever heard of this this phrase before. Your ishta devata is like your your one chosen god, the 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 god that you feel most connected to that's like front and center on your altar and i was led to my teachers and my guru neem karoli baba and this particular lineage is a hanuman lineage and hanuman is um, the divine embodiment of service and devotion and all I can say is I guess I was ripe when I heard that. I was ready because when I, when I was introduced, it just felt like it clicked. Something was right and this felt so just natural. And I was teaching yoga at the time. And it just felt right to just start teaching yoga as a form of service, right? Not to stroke my ego of how good of a yoga class I just taught or how, how many people I could get in the yoga class, but to really come from a very pure place in teaching yoga to serve the students that are in their class. Well, how can we serve the students? Well, by, you know, whether it's the asana, doing asanas that help to balance and harmonize the energies within their body, um, by sharing you know, knowledge and dharma teachings that this helps to serve people and uplift them so that they can feel more connected to themselves and live more of a, a creative, joyful, happy, spiritually connected life. So, uh, yeah, this, this, this thing of service really just hit me. And, and I didn't grow up in a, with any of this mentality, you know, if, if anything, it was, have people serve you, you know? <laughs> but don't serve other people. That means you're low. Well, in bhakti, that's what it's all about is, is humbling our own ego, right? So that we can serve and, and be a beneficial presence to, to the planet and to everyone and everything. Mm. It's so beautiful, thank in, you. In, in, yeah, stunning. In terms of like, separation, it's, I think everyone needs to get that feeling of non-separation at some point in their lives, in some way. That whatever that it could be a football game, which ideally not. It could be it could be through back to yoga, or it could be through psychedelics. And you know, there's so much research now that says, to some degree, I'm not any listeners. I'm not telling you to go and do psychedelics. I don't take any responsibility for that. <laughs> <laughs> but what you get from those kind of experiences can be profoundly like life-changing and and it's interesting that so many people who've had that experience have that feeling of non-separation like i had it myself and i remember th seeing an ant and looking really close at this ant for quite a long time it's like so bad i had a photo shoot the next day and i had that like, the worst tan lines like they were very angry with me because i did horrific tan lines uh, but looking at this ant on a blade of grass and it's beautiful day and I was looking at it so close like it must have been pretty much on my eye at this point and I remember thinking like, what what is the final cell as in like organic cell at what cell is the edge of the ant and at what point is air or at what point is a blade of grass that the, the edge isn't that firm <laughs> and, and actually within each cell there is just space and that was my that was my way of seeing kind of that we are all one, seeing that ant and realizing there's no point at which that ant ends and I begin or oh, the air begins. I yeah. wish I'd got a photo of this moment. <laughs> yes, I agree. I agree. And and you know, I mean the thing is, I think that that unitive experience that can come through a variety of different ways again whether it's dancing or yoga or chanting or um sex or uh you know being at a playing a sport being at a sport uh so many different ways is is so important because somehow somewhere some way that memory when you've had it it stays mm. because 
I mean, I think we're all just struggling with this human incarnation. I know I am for sure. Like the challenges are so big at times. You know, I have two kids, a wife, family, my parents are aging, getting older. It's constant. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we, we, we can feel so disconnected from everything and, and overwhelmed by all of these challenges. Uh, when we identify with, you know, whether it's our bodies or our minds or our thoughts or the stories that we're telling ourselves. So to have something underneath it all that we can maybe curl back into this, this deeper knowing that, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm getting my ass kicked by life right here, but it's all a part of, some big master plan and I'm going to trust it because I have faith. You know, I think those unitive experiences are so important because they give us faith. That's what it is. Mm -hmm. They give us faith that there are no mistakes, that everything is unfolding exactly as it should, mm -hmm. even if it doesn't look the way that I want it to look, you know? So yeah, I agree. Can, I, can, we, can we just stay on gods for a second? Yes. Uh, I want to talk about an experience I had maybe I don't know, 10, 15 years ago. Can I went to the first Kiritan and I felt really awkward and really uncomfortable. Like It was a, quite a big event and I'd never been to a Kiritan before. And I almost found it almost like disrespectful. It was what I felt at the time in that there was lots of kind of white people wearing hippie clothing like lots of mala beads like lots of chakra tattoos is what i saw all chanting words that i believe they didn't understand uh just repeating call and response and in my head i imagine i compared it to i imagine like christian hymns i imagine going to a random hall in the middle of like beijing being full of chinese people wearing like christian outfits and like mm. dog collars and looking like priests running around <laughs> chanting like christian hymns and like having a little dance and a book <laughs> that's kind of what i imagine that's not how i feel now but no. i wanted you to ask you about like do you ha have you ever had any kind of blowback or people saying well actually you're you're taking from the culture or you're disrespecting a culture often i guess it's probably not people from the culture who would say that it's probably people who aren't from the culture who will say you're disrespecting that other culture and also do people need to understand what they're chanting is it important that people like have the translation first for two layers yeah. really nice um so I, my feeling is, and again, everybody I think has a different feeling around this and this, this, you know, topic of cultural misappropriation, right, is, is so clear, so big and, and so many people talking about it and debating about it and dialoguing about it. Um, you know, nowhere, nowhere, nowhere in any of the Vedas and any of the scriptures is it said that these chants are only for dark-skinned people that live in India. Mm. Nowhere. This, even one of the lines in the Hanuman Chalisa, this 40-verse, you know, uh, prayer to Hanuman is that Hanuman's glory is sung all over the world. Well, okay. So it's for everybody. Sanatana Dharma. We're familiar with this word Dharma. Well, the Sanatana Dharma is the universal way. It's, it's not just for people in India. It's, it was revealed in India to the sages and rishis. But this is for everybody. This is the universal universal way of things of how to live a good life in relation to each other in relation to the earth in relation to god um, in relation to the food that we eat and how we move dharma encompasses all of this but it's for everybody universal it's for everybody so 
my feeling again is if the intention's there and the sincerity is there, then there is nothing wrong with this. This is a, a, a blessing. This is a boon. This is a gift that we have somehow found our way to some practice that can heal our hearts. And I love what you said, that it's probably not the Indians that are judging you. It's probably other Westerners that are judging you. And that's what I feel. You know, I go to India and everywhere I go, the Indians are asking me to lead kirtan. Because <laughs> they're so happy that their, that their spiritual practices have spread to the West. They're so happy about it. And, you know, when I was just there in November, I was leading kirtan to like over a thousand people. I sung a Hanuman Chalisa at this one big, you know, gathering to over a thousand people. I, I couldn't even believe it, like what was happening. And they were, everybody was so happy, so happy. They're so welcoming. Mm. Now, the judgment, I think, comes from the white people, right, that are, that are, that are, probably somehow you know and why do we judge because we feel threatened mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. we feel threatened we we feel smaller than mm -hmm. and well i don't want them to be happy and doing something look how happy they are i don't want them to be happy i want to be as happy <laughs> as them so so what do we do we judge people right and we put them down to make us feel bigger mm -hmm. than so i think that's where the judgment a lot of that judgment comes from um but do we need to know exactly what we're singing? So, see, I, there's different ways to look at this. For newer people, I almost feel like at times, it's better not to know what we're singing. Mm -hmm. Excuse me. Because then we're not head tripping around it. We can have the authentic experience of it. Mm -hmm. um, it's not a it's not a heady thing. It just it's a felt in the body thing. So that's that's what Krishna Das always sort of talked about. You know, he 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 wasn't big. You know, still isn't big on uh, on teaching so much what these chants mean and what we're singing. Now, on the other side of the coin, I feel that as over, you know, 25 years or so, as I've deepened and now am coming to understand what it means, it's even that much more nourishing, actually, to my psyche and to my heart as well, too, because I have a, It, there's an alignment of all of it together, you know, the, 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 the alignment of the psyche with, with the heart spiritually and physically what we're doing all at the same time. So it feels like if all of those things can come together as one, that that's a very powerful experience. Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah, I, I think that's probably how I would reflect that's on that. That's a beautiful that. answer. And, mm -hmm. yeah. Do your children um, practice yoga and kirtan with you? Only when we make them. Yeah, they're the ones that get dragged. <laughs> uh, we've, we've been teaching, you know, my son's 12 now, and we've been teaching yoga to his preschool ever since, ever since he was in preschool. How lovely. Same with my daughter, who's seven, who is in uh, second grade now. So every Wednesday, and depending on the school year, me and my wife will go and teach 15, 20 minutes to the kids. And uh, it's just part of our seva because I don't know about you all, but I didn't grow up with yoga mm -hmm. and the language of mindfulness and this kind of stuff. I don't think where I grew, I grew up on the East Coast in Maryland. There were no yoga studios in the 80s, 70s and 80s when I was around. And, and I have a memory of yoga of maybe some Indian guy in a loincloth sitting cross-legged or something that I saw in a, like a cartoon or something like that. That was my only real memory of yoga. But uh, my kids, you know, 
we don't, we've never forced them mm. to do anything in this way. Of course, they do it when we're with their, uh, when we're with their school. My, both of my kids have grown up since they were, you know, one day old in my arms and me singing kirtan to them. Mm -hmm. They were in my wife's belly while we were singing kirtan. So I'm just trusting that somehow it's going to get through just the, the beauty and the grace of this whole path of yoga, you know, that, that it's good. It's good for us to, to be involved in these types of things. And when they're old enough, they'll make their own choices, you know, spiritually. Look, we live in a house where my wife grew up Christian. I grew up Jewish. You know, we just, for Christmas, we were in Australia with my wife's family. We just went to celebrate a Christmas and went to church. You know, on Friday nights, we say a little Shabbat Hebrew prayer. And my kids are hearing kirtan and me leading, you know, Indian yogic rituals all the time. So, you know, as I've even said to them, when, when you're at an age, when you want to choose a spiritual direction, hopefully, you know, you have it all out in front of you mm -hmm. and you can choose what's right for your heart. And, are, are, uh, are they at an age where you, they think you're cool or are they transcended that and think you're now uncool? <laughs> <laughs> That's great. You know, I love parenting conversations. <laughs> you know, it's it's interesting my son's 12 he's he's you know almost in his teens he's starting to get hair in his play different places <laughs> and parts of his body and, um you know the changes of of puberty that are starting to come along with him and uh does he think i'm cool i don't know i probably not you know he doesn't think i'm cool of course <laughs> not but we, we do play a lot of sports together and we I like to hang out with the kids and I like to, I like to relate to them as I'm one of them, you know, and, and I love, I love being around kids and, and just. On, on the topic of different religions, I just thought, wh why do you think so many people who are wonderful spiritual teachers of either yogic tradition or kind of Buddhism have come from like, the Jewish, the Jewish faith? Cause so many senior Buddhist teachers are, it's got the gold stains and they're like, <laughs> Maybe because we wanted to get get away from our faith so <laughs> so much. That could be it. That could literally be it. You know, I grew up in a. I I just didn't particularly like it when I was a kid. You know, I didn't feel. It didn't inspire me. I, I, you know, I didn't want to have to wear a suit and a tie and go to a synagogue. I was like, I want to get as far away from that as possible, you know. So I, I, when I found yoga and, you know, these guys wearing beards and dreadlocks wound, sadhus with dreadlocks wound, wound up on their ass, I was like, this is cool, right? <laughs> I, can, I can dig spirituality like this, you know. But, uh, I don't know. I, I, I've thought about that myself. You know, Ram Das, who's one of my main teachers and gurus, he, he was Jewish. And uh, I, I don't know. I, I don't really have the answer for that. Should we do some quick fires? We'll do some quick fires. If that's all right. Of course. Go on, Adam. I don't have one in my head. <laughs> Man brain. <laughs> is, there, is there a mantra? I'm not going to ask your, your uh, personal one that you use is, but is there a mantra that you think has helped people, like really helped many people that you that you've led, that you've explained, that seem to have helped a lot of people in their lives? Yes, and it's an English mantra. It's not a Sanskrit mantra. It's God puts me in the perfect place, the perfect time, the perfect moment, always, mm. and in all ways. I love okay. that. What do you do to relax? I like to go for walks in the woods. We live near the mountains here. I take my dog out for walks. Mm. And, you know, as you all probably know, with, with kids, there's not a lot of time. To oh, relax. yes. <laughs> that sounds dreamy. Um, you know, it's, it's, uh, 
yeah, I like I like to I just like to be outside. Mm. I really do. I just love to be outside. That helps me to feel relaxed always whether it's in the ocean I'm a surfer whether that's that's hiking whether that's playing basketball or soccer outside with the kids just to be outside mm. and tell us like, what what's got, got what have you got going on where can people find you what do people need to know about you where's your tour taking you well I uh, you know where people can find me I have a yoga studio I mean we closed the physical studio in first year of COVID it was called it is called Bhakti Yoga Shala we had a studio in Santa Monica but now we don't have a physical location so we're just doing events at different places uh, but bhaktiyogashala.com is a great website because it has everything that we're doing um, also of course Instagram uh, Bhakti Yoga Shala Instagram I have my own personal Instagram govindas108 and uh yeah, that's that's probably where people can find me. And Spotify as well. And Spotify, absolutely. Yeah, we just read yes, one point nine million streams you've had, which is incredible. Yeah, incredible. I got a couple new albums coming out this year, uh, within the next maybe six to eight weeks. So feeling really excited about that. And uh, I'm taking a group to India, another group to India in March, late March. So if anybody's interested in getting away on a Bhakti adventure to India. We spend 11 days in two different places and chant our way through India, do yoga every day, eat incredible food, meditate. Oh, sounds you know, it's, dreamy. It's a really, really special trip. Mm. So if anybody's interested, we'd love to be your humble guide through the through the journey. I just realized, I said Spotify. Actually, don't go to Spotify. Actually, buy the music. Yeah. <laughs> buy the music from somewhere else. Don't. Yeah. Where do you buy music anymore? We don't sell the music yeah, anywhere. Spotify is the only place to get the music. Oh, is it? Oh, yeah. Okay, so we go to Spotify yeah. then. I take it back. Yeah, awesome. It was so lovely to chat. It's been a while and it's been worth the wait. Yeah, thank you so much for being a guest. Really. You two are beautiful. <laughs> I mean, I just feel your love. Oh. And, uh, you know, congratulations on being a parent. It's, it's, it is the greatest thing in the world. And enjoy the rest of your night. And thank you so much for inviting me to be a part of this. If you remotely enjoyed that episode and you like what we do, your support would mean the world. You don't need money off you, but please do tell people about the podcast. Share it with your friends. Share the episode you love. Share it on your social media profile. But yeah, help us get the word out there if you can. We have such amazing guests that offer such value to the world. It would be a shame if more people didn't listen. Thank you so much. Take care. Honestly, I'm balanced.